0: I want my baby back, 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 baby
1: back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby
0: back, baby 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 back, back, baby back, back, baby I want my baby. You have to sit back. I want my. All right, I'll tap you when you do it. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby Come on, dude. You know the top Do you know the top part? I want my
1: baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back,
0: baby back. <laughs> <on my feet. laughs> just do it, man! Please, I, I can't fucking finish it. I'm just keep picturing the hundreds of people listening to this. They're not listening. Right, listening. I feel like this would be like a good sleep podcast. We could just do an hour of. Uh, we'll I just want to do the part. Just please. All right, all right. Last, do you time. Wanna this do the the last time. This is the last time. This the last time I'm gonna try. Okay? No, 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 no. I'm no. gonna get it. I don't think I can do the top part. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, 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 baby back. Barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce. It's not yeah. That was good. That was good enough. That was the best we're getting. We're done. I agree with that.
2: Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I'm Dave. Uh, before we start, I made um, I made a point of trying to explain everything that happens on the show for anyone who might be new listening to the show. So, before we start the show, I just want to explain the opening. That opening was from Dopey episode 39. And if you're unaware, um, the other person's voice on the show, who was terribly trying to sing the I Want My Baby Back was Chris, who was uh, the guy who I started the show with, he uh, was my good friend, and he died over the summer of uh, overdose, and he relapsed after four years clean. And when we recorded that one, we had just gone to the supermarket on the Lower East Side to buy chocolate bars. And Chris, because he's an idiot, God bless him, bought a chili-infused chocolate bar, which made me desperate to do the Chili's commercial. So that's what that was. And uh, here and there, I'm going to sprinkle in little bits of uh, old episodes in the new ones because uh, it means so much to me. And I remember how how funny me and Chris uh, thought that was, and like it really was. And uh, forever, uh, I will miss him and... um, But the show can't just be missing Chris I mean a lot of the show is missing Chris But uh, it seems like that's the deal with addiction Is that your friends die and you have to miss them So bear with me folks Now we're going to call our guest We have a guest And I haven't told you the bad news Which is I'm fucking sick But here we go Our guest is a guy named Chuck Davis From Bob Forrest Don't Die Podcast Let's see if he answers the phone Chuck's like the level-headed guy on "Don't Die." Hey, yo, Chuck, how are you?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you?
2: I'm good. I was just saying that you're the level-headed guy on "Don't Die." (laughs)
1: Yeah, in that group, I am. Well, what's kind of scary because I'm not in most other groups I hang on.
2: So, in other groups, you're not the level-headed guy.
1: We I mean, no, it's just, you know, it's one of those, it's a comparison thing. You know, it's compared to Bob, compared to Mike, I'm, uh, I hate to say I'm the same one, but that's what people tell me.
2: Well, you're, you're very reasonable. You know, you're reasonable, you're, you're, an e- you know, you're an easy person to listen to, um, and, and you have a, a certain, like, je ne sais quoi for getting the conversation to flow a little bit, which is something I always like. You like that, huh? Now, Now, my favorite thing about Chuck, my favorite thing about Chuck is like when the don't, and I have a lot of questions, Chuck, but I'm just going to set this up in the first place. Uh, when, the, when the Don't Die podcast uh, came out, you know, crazily enough, as it opened, Bob said that he stole the entire Don't Die format from our stupid little show, Dopey. And Chris was just shocked. He was like, oh, my God. You know, we were so excited. But then, as it turns out, Chuck hated Dopey, correct?
1: Well, he is a rough word. But, that, you know, this is why if I die before Bob, I want him to
3: tell my stories because he makes them better. Okay. I'm not saying that he lies, but, you know, it, it, the stories get better
1: when Bob tells them. So I just, you know, I was not a fan. Absolutely. You know, my wife would try to play me. Uh, Amy would try to play me these things and I was like not interested you know I I don't want to hear about uh, that I didn't understand it really and yeah I guess you could say strongly disliked
2: wow I didn't realize you disliked it that much I thought I was just talking shit so that's the other most important thing though is that Chuck's wife independently of Bob, Don't Die Dr. Drew and all this stuff was a fan of of Dopey correct? That's absolutely true. That's yeah. insane. I, have it, I find it hard to believe that anybody's a fan of Dopey. Even though we have uh, a bunch of fans, it's fucking weird to me. And so your wife is yeah. like, there's this amazing podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. It's called Dopey. And she tried to play you bits of our stupid show. And, and I've
1: been hearing since I told her I was going to be doing this, I've been hearing facts about you, everything from like praying menaces in your attic to, oh, he probably needs to go upstairs. That's where he records. to all these sort of intimate details about you, that just kind of freaks me out she knows that much about you.
2: Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's well, weird that anybody does. But uh, I like, I love that you're, you know, Amy, I'm so happy that Amy's such a fan. That that definitely touches my heart. And, uh, and what the Dopey Nation should know is that Chuck, is a, a hardcore drug addict in recovery, correct?
1: This is true. I mean, it used to be something you wouldn't say out loud, or especially when someone was recording. You know, and that the whole thing kind of freaks me out because, you know, it used to be something you just kept on the very down low. But I'm so glad that people are talking about it and that they're not ashamed of it. You know, I don't, I don't brag about it, but it was just like. uh I like the fact that it's turning because it, it's it's taking too many of our young folks. I mean, much less the lives that are lived in misery, you know, that, that all the dope that I've ever done, all the different kinds of dope that I've done, they're all that great big lie where it starts off so great and it, it was an answer for me and then it ended up being such a fucked up existence that the idea of having to stop or die was a very hard choice to make.
2: Right, I, I was. A, at, what, what were you gonna say? I'm sorry.
1: I, no, just right now, sitting here, I I know I believed that, and I know I thought that, and I was just like, Fuck, I'm, not, I'm not ready to quit this, even though I was throwing up blood and I couldn't hold down food, and I was I was miserable and broken, and the police were tired of me, and and you know what's really weird is I know we, we talked a few days ago. <laughs> And I didn't even think what the date was for today Thursday today January 10th is 20 years since my brother died oh my god and he, and he died as a result of
3: this it's a weird in a nutshell uh, do you mind if I tell you no please um, he was uh, he was sober for a
1: week I was working with him I was fairly new in sobriety at that time and uh, I was working with him for a week well we were working, we worked together for nine months before he died, but for that week before he was sober and on that Friday he said uh, I did so good this week that my girlfriend's gonna buy me a six pack of whatever I want and because, you know, alcohol isn't a drug, <laughs> you know, to, to some folks. And I go, all right, just don't get in any trouble, you know, and uh, you know, cause I'm not gonna tell somebody what to do. And uh, that next, that Sunday, was my middle kid's birthday and he was supposed to get the birthday party on Sunday, on the 10th, because it's also my, my just turned 23 today, my middle kid Sasha's birthday and it's like, they uh, he got drunk, they ended up going to Mexico because it's not that far from here, you know, and uh, they picked up a bunch of pills and drank a bunch of tequila and smoked a bunch of weed and he got in an argument with his girlfriend on the way home and the guy that was driving the car pulled over to the center divider and let him out on the freeway. And when he was crossing the freeway to try and get off the freeway, he got hit by a car and killed. Oh, my God. So it's one of those things where I was like, I, when I got the fatality report, I wanted to, it was I, it's sick, but I felt better because he was hit on the right side that he
2: hadn't turned and like faced traffic like a suicide thing. Right. But you you were happy that he wasn't actually trying to die.
1: Right, that it wasn't an on purpose death because we we've both been around there. You know, and then the the fatality report
3: said that the cause of death wasn't struck by a car but was lack of sober judgment. Wow. And You're- I was just like
1: fuck, you know, that it was, it was harsh. And it's still harsh, you know, but it's just like one of those things where it's weird because one of his guitars, we used to play guitar all the time, and his acoustic guitar that I that I had at that time that was his, I, I have at the center, and there's a bunch of newly clean junkies that play it every day to help stay clean through music. You know, it's part of what we do therapeutically over there. So it's, it's kind of cool, and it's kind of like this big circular thing where Jeff's guitar is is bringing people joy every day now. Um, And uh, you know, I miss the fact he's not here, and it sucks, and it was hard on the family, but I was so glad that I had had a 12-step family around me that was able to walk me through it. And I know a lot of people don't dig 12-step, and I know it's not for everybody and there's a lot of other things out there, there's the Refuge Recovery, there's um, Celebrate Recovery, there's Smart Recovery, and there's all sorts of different programs in different churches and synagogues and mosques and all that. So you know, find your own way. But for me 12-step was the answer, you know, when I got that call that Jeff was gone I, uh, I didn't believe it and then I wanted to go kill the guy that was driving the car.
2: Right. Um, was Jeff older he, um, brother or younger brother?
1: Jeff was uh, three years younger than me.
2: And how old were he you? Was, how old was he when he died?
1: He was just turned 28.
2: And you were 31, and how long had you been clean? Um, a, a little over a year. Wow. So it was very, very, very early recovery.
1: Yeah, it was early recovery, and that's why, you know, had it happened at another time where I wasn't so plugged in. Because I'd been clean several times before that i I'd, I'd been on a bit on a, um, a a heroin run that ended pretty quickly and in a rehab. then I went on a, a an LSD and a whole lot of weed run because I knew where the heroin would go and then I went on an alcohol only run and then i I knew I couldn't drink and then I you know there was another sobriety and then there was. Uh, a methamphetamine run that that cost me about four of my teeth and i I found that speed i was able to do the most damage on speed and especially speed with vodka but um i would i so i went in and i did what they always say you do you know get in get in the middle of the group get a sponsor work steps i got hooked up with a home group and we did a lot of shit together and it was one of those things that I was living in a sober, not a sober living, but I lived with like four or five guys from my home group. And this guy goes, listen, man, your, your family's going to need you. We're going to drive you over to your mom and dad's house because it's not natural for a, for a parent to bury a, a child. Your mom and dad are going to be despondent. And I said, no, nah, man, you don't know my dad. He's got it. He's a hard, he's a hard man and he'll just, he'll breeze through this. And, you know, we get there and they, they, they picked up cold cuts and they said, you need to make sure they're eating. You need to answer the phone when the phone rings, when the neighbors come over, I want you to be there between. So it's like, I had people walking through something that might have been sitting by myself. Cause like the third thing my head told me was you can
3: go and pick up right now and no one could say you
2: didn't have good reason. Right. Right. You had the ultimate excuse.
1: Uh, and, I, and my head told me that my, my attic thinking was instead of instead of I need to be there for my parents and my sister and the other people that are grieving, my, you know my thoughts were about I could get loaded right now and they could say shit. No one could say anything. And you know, and the real sick part of it is is the second part of what my head told me is just pick up a little bit and just use for a little while and then just come back to meetings. But I know I—that's
2: never worked. Well, you what know, do you think? Sad. What do you think kept you from? Because you said you had a, you had a bunch of relapse before this thing happened. You know, you had relapsed time and time again. You had gotten a little bit of time. You had been to a, a bunch of different uh, programs. What do you think it was? You had a year clean, and your your little brother, you know, tragically dies, and you don't relapse. What do you think the difference was? I,
1: Uh, You know, I I wish I knew. Um, Other than, um, I was kind of, it was a weird, it was a really weird thing. I mean, because he was probably the person I was closest to on the planet. We had our own language and we did our own. We did music together. We hung out together. We, I mean, we both knew where the bodies were buried for the other guy. Did you get high with him? Oh, yeah. I got him high for the first time. So there was guilt with that. I mean, it was it was weed. I never did heroin with him. I did a lot of speed with him. Um, we did a lot of cocaine. Um, we we drank a lot. Um, I never never introduced him to a needle because there was something inherently, you know, being as old as I am. I'm I'm born in 1967, so you know when i was 10 11 years old i was seeing my heroes die from that right you know and excuse me so it's uh it's one of the things where i i said i'm never going to do that you know as long as i was smoking heroin or smoking speed or smoking cocaine it wasn't right you know it wasn't as bad but there came a time where that line that that line came up and I I crossed it without any hesitation just because you know how it starts out you know it's like people go marijuana is not a gateway drug but you know when I'm smoking pot there's someone that had some pills and then when I start hanging out with them and that person that had the pills also knew somebody that could get some LSD or someone that could get some cocaine or someone that could get some of this so it put me in a group of people
3: where you know it was okay to do it wasn't I wasn't the
1: odd man out. As a matter of fact, the more the more I did, the more I was like one of them and, the, you know, lower companions. But the 12-step books talk about that, you know, and the, I did, you know. You, you, water speaks its own level, and I ended up, you know, going everywhere I said I'd never go.
2: Right, right, right. And uh, what, well, was the, what was the first time you used a needle? Um, it
1: was probably... 18 or 19 years old it was after being clean for it was after being clean again for about a year I, I picked up a, a DUI with a hit and run and I got a uh, I got out of jail. I only did ten days in jail, and I I, I practically run a school bus. I, I drank a I drank a, um, a fifth of vodka. It was like eleven o'clock in the morning, and I'm driving around, and I tried to run a school bus off the road. Is what they told me. that I tried. To. I don't really remember. Right. But I <laughs> but I told I told the car, and uh, uh, the judge said, "You know what? I'm gonna." I'm going to send you to treatment, even though I've been to multiple treatments already.
3: And
2: uh, well, nobody got hurt. Nobody on the, the 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 bus didn't didn't crash. Nobody died, right? Mm-hmm. No-, no, nobody
1: nobody got hurt. Um, I went across a few front yards, and that's how I totaled the car. Right?
3: Uh, I broke the axles, both front and back. I mean, my dad was just like, "How the hell did you do that? How did the car keep going?" It was a it was a
1: station wagon at that, but the. Uh, I went into treatment. When I went into treatment that time, uh, it was a place called ASAP in Buena Park, and I uh, I met some people that were that were telling me, "Hey, man, you're fucking smoking this. You're just stupid. You never really got a high." So it was like when I, after I was clean a year that time, I actually worked in recovery for a year at that point. And 1986. I worked in that hospital for a year. I went 90 days there and then worked there for a year. And then when I got out, it was like, when, when I was done, when I was like, because I, you know, slowly backed away from 12 Step and those people and started hanging out with people that were more on the periphery. And then it was like, uh, I had to try. I had to give what they said I was missing. Because I, mean, I always felt like I was missing something. What was the first thing you shot? First thing I shot was was heroin. Right. It was black tar. Yeah. It wasn't, we didn't have white heroin here.
2: No, I know. I lived in California forever. Those th- Were they always in those little balloons? The, always. In a, or, or sometimes you'd get,
1: uh, uh, you'd come in foil. But yeah, I mean, and it, was, it was a total drag because it wasn't like now where you can go and buy needles. It was, it was $10 is what I needed to be able to get high on the heroin. And then it was um, you know, for twenty, I could get enough to get high now and
3: have some later or tomorrow, but it was six bucks for a rig, right, right. And it was just like so it,
1: it quickly went from because when i when I do when I do um, opiates in particular, I'm good doing a whole lot of nothing other than
3: burning my fingers with cigarettes right I mean
1: it's not a whole lot of I don't I don't understand the guys that like have a fully active life when they're using that because for me it was about getting loaded and then just finding a place to nod you know and uh so I found myself in a lot of like weird people's houses people I didn't know and being like third or fourth on the on the needle as it's going around wow and, and zero, zero fear of HIV or hepatitis or anything like that. That wasn't even in my mind. It didn't. It didn't take me more than a couple weeks to be just eyes on the prize, you know. And it was all about, you know. And it's like I, I ended up. Uh, like I was telling, because Amy was like, you know, Dave doesn't drink. You know, it's too bad you never, you know, never shot heroin. I said, no, I, I absolutely did. I absolutely, I, it was a problem. And she goes, uh, how come you didn't tell me? And I said, you, you never asked.
2: So you're so your wife, saying. your wife discovered that you shot heroin while preparing for dopey.
1: Absolutely, and we've been married for seventeen years. We've talked about all sorts of things and she's always been interested in like the the drug culture and the prison culture and that the weird the darker side of life but she's never ventured into it.
2: Right. So, so she has that voyeuristic voyeuristic intensity absolutely. or whatever.
1: And I, I think a lot of the world does right now. I mean it's all over T V
2: well it I always know. was. I remember when I was a kid and I would watch T V and um, and I, I remember this really well because because I because I would reflect on it after I was a drug addict that when I would watch a show that had heroin addicts on them, I would get this crazy reaction. Like I would feel something in my arms. Like I would freak out when I no I would feel something. I would like freak out. I would be watching and I would see a junkie shoot up. And I I mean it just I wasn't like. Oh my God, that looks amazing. I would get so freaked out and I'd get this crazy feeling in my arms like that. I was like, it was like too intense to even see it. And I wasn't like the kind of person... That was fascinated with it. it. It seems like totally random that I was ever to become an Ivy heroin addict, you know. But I did have this crazy effect when I was a kid from watching it, and, and I was very straight until I was, you know, in my late teens. I didn't smoke weed until I was like seventeen or eighteen, and I certainly barely drank. You know, it's just so weird the reaction I had to it. But I think it's interesting yep. that Amy is such a. You know she's so into the into the, the the drug culture, and she knows that you're in treatment, and she didn't know that you uh, had shot heroin or, or probably meth and coke too. Well, you know the well, yeah, methamphetamine and, and
3: cocaine were were good. I didn't
1: like I didn't like shooting the cocaine as much because you had to do it so often. You know, the needles aren't good for very long.
2: Right when I lived in, when I lived in Los Angeles, and I lived in Los Angeles in two thousand one, I think I lived in Los Angeles from maybe two thousand and two to two thousand and eight, and and still I, I had to buy rigs on the street unless I found uh, a needle exchange thing. Like they weren't selling them when I lived there, and like oh, right. and it was so gross. Like I don't even know why it didn't cross my mind that this could be a problem. You know what I mean? Like, but I, I was always buying rigs, and I used the rigs until. Like they were just so painful and dull, and like what a crazy phenomenon in California. Do they sell them in the pharmacies now?
1: Yeah, they they do. But like some of like the Walgreens, I think. Yeah, I think it is the Walgreens. Like stopped selling um, the packages because they got tired of cleaning up their bathrooms. Right. You know, people buying them and going and using their facilities. They didn't. They didn't like what it was. What the clientele was. Doing. Bringing in. So I think they stopped just as a as a store rule, but not as anything else. You know, I I mean, I, I you say dull and, and the painful, the, you know, people don't, there's not even matchbooks around like there used to be. It used to be you'd be going anywhere and get a matchbook. And I remember um, getting a, a rig from a guy and, and him going, man, just go get some matches. Yeah. You know, sharpen it on the back. And I was like, Okay, that was a good idea. I mean, the fact that that was a good idea it tells
2: me <laughs> that you didn't have any good ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know that that fits with the whole biochemistry of when you flood the. You know the limbic system with that much dopamine, it, it cuts out the natural thought, and you're working with
3: your lizard brain. You're, you're
1: yeah, but
2: that's system. that's that's old school junkie shit to sharpen the the needle on the back of the <laughs> matchbook. That's old school junkie shit. It really is. You know, I never even thought that I could sharpen a needle, but I, I love I love that the idea. You no, know.
1: I don't. I don't know that it worked, but it was something that I went through the uh, you know straightening them them out and, and being gentle and thinking I'm putting in the work because I'm a craftsman, and that's half the fun that came with that was having a cigar box full of the shit. You know, I've got my spoon, I've got my little thing of water, I've got this, I've got that, I've got my little cooker, I've got my, you know, in and, and I'm going to sharpen my thing. And, I, you know, it, it's crazy because the, one, of the, one of the girls I work with showed me how Walgreens... Or not Walgreens It's like CVS or somebody Now actually has like a a diabetic kit That looks like a little road case Right And it places for several of the syringes And it's like Why didn't they have that when I was growing up?
2: I remember when I lived out there I had like gotten some kind of like It was like almost like a little lunchbox And I remember like You know I was probably I think I was 28 or something like that at the time Or maybe I was older Let's do the math it was 2001. I was I was like I don't know. Sounds I was
3: like 17, 18 years ago. How old a man are
2: you? I'm 44. So I was uh, 17. I don't know what is I. 31, 30, 29. Yeah. I think I was 29 when I moved to California because I remember uh, turning 30. Um, Math is art. Um, yeah, especially I'm very sick, Chuck. I did not tell the Dopey Nation, but I had a 102 fever today. And, uh, and they, they extracted my tooth last week, Chuck. They fucking fucked me uh-huh. up, man. They fucked me up. So bear with Listen, me. But, uh, Suzanne, you know, that's funny. When I, told, when I told Amy that you were sick, she
3: goes, uh, is he taking NyQuil? He likes to take NyQuil when he's sick. I'm like, God, Dad, stop giving me Dave facts.
2: It's true. I do like. It's bad. It's it's bad. Like I was going to ask you about that. Like I have a hundred and two fever. I'm coughing. I have a stuffy head. I, I feel like I won't be able to rest. And that's got Nyquil written all over it. And and soon after soon after Chris died, I had uh, I had Bob Forrest on the show. And he was talking about his recovery, you know, and I was like, uh, so you're saying if you had a cold, you wouldn't do NyQuil? And he was like, absolutely not. And I was like, I see. But it was like uh, because the audience knows that I do NyQuil or I take NyQuil when I'm I'm sick or if I, like, haven't slept for a long time and I need eight hours because I have a hard time sleeping sometimes.
1: Okay. Well, you know, but that's the thing is that it's, that's what I love about this thing is it's different for everybody in it. You know, when I told him, cause I've got uh, a bilateral hernia right now. I, this is what people tune in for. The dear medical problems from old men. But um, I'm going to have to go in and they're going to cut open my guts and they're going to have to sew a bunch of shit up to keep my intestines in my stomach. Right.
2: Uh-huh. And, and he's like, well, are you going to take pain meds? And I said, oh yeah, absolutely. Who said that?
1: Bob. yeah you know and it's like well, absolutely and I'm gonna do it like I've done with my other surgeons I'm gonna I'm gonna take it as directed I'm gonna write down when I take them I'm gonna you know have have my wife hold me accountable you know so that you know I don't you know and I, I already told I told my doctor a long time ago if I call you and tell you I, I left the prescription on the bus or that someone stole it or something it's a lie
2: I'm trying to get more and then, of course, Chuck, know. what happens if you lose the prescription on the bus and you're in crazy pain? <laughs> what are you going to do then? Yeah, that
1: you know, it, I'm going to try and stay out the bus. You're going to be like, oh,
2: doctor, I, it's, I know yeah. I told you that no, if I ever tell you I lost the prescription, I was lying, but I'm really not lying. Like, what happens? Yeah.
3: Well, that worked really good.
1: I, I, I used to offend a lot of people when I was using and This one guy took offense and, and broke my nose pretty good, and I went to the emergency room, and
3: they said, okay, yeah, wow, it's, it's for sure broken. Here's 45
1: of the extra strength Vicodin, you know? And they said, you're gonna have to go see this person. They're gonna have to set it. And I said, thank you very much. I left, and I was so happy that I got 45 extra strength Vicodin. They were pretty, they had like a beveled edge on top,
3: you uh-huh. know? Yeah. I don't even know if they make them like that anymore, but they were an attractive bill. And they worked really well. You take two or three of them, and you're like, derp. And as soon as I got
1: home, my wife at the time, my first wife, goes, call them and tell them you left them on the bus and that you really need more. <laughs> and they did. They, they got me 45 more, like, right now, and I didn't go back and have it said. I just had it fixed, like, oh, four or five years ago.
2: That's another old junkie move is to say you left something on the bus. It's like <laughs> I left my matches, my sharpening kit, and the 45 beveled Vicodins on the bus. It's like people, you know, well, people don't talk like that anymore, but I, I like it. I, I, how did you meet Bob? Um, it, that's
1: funny. Um, in, in 90, well, it, no, it was, it was when I was living up in L.A., and I, I was living with these guys that were musicians, and I was doing my best to make a living playing music. And they actually went somewhere with it, but I had, I started developing a habit, right? So it kept me from being, from moving forward. And uh, they were, my roommate's band, they were called Shadowland at the time, and they, they were playing at this little place called White Trash, i go, oh no, it was Club Lingerie, with Rick L. Rick, and it was a big night, and they were gonna, you know, guys from Jeff and Records were there looking at what they were doing. And in between bands, this, this foul-smelling, dreadlocked, hat-wearing freak walks in, and just walks up on the stage with an attitude and guitar, and starts like singing. And I'm like, "Hey, wow, fuck this bum, get him out of here!" And they go, "Oh no, that's Thelonious Bob." I'm like, "Who? That's Thelonious Bob?" And I was like, "I don't know who he is, but like, I, I, I
3: ran into him there." and then at a couple other places, and we,
1: we weren't really friendly, but we recognized each other as like, hey, what's up?
2: Was Thelonious Monster up. big at that point, or were they just coming up?
1: They were like uh, they were like one of the staples in the area. Like, Jane's Addiction was happening, but they hadn't broken yet. Um, you know, there was another band, Concrete Blonde, that was happening, but they hadn't broken yet. And there were, yeah, Thelonious was one of those bands were like, in the LA scene at that time, they were like important, you know, to a lot of people, and that was like Guns N' Roses were happening, but they hadn't broken yet.
2: What was your band? What's that? What was your band called at the time?
1: Oh, I was not in one. I was nursing, I was nursing a fledgling habit and being supportive of my roommate. So I was just sitting up there wasting time.
2: Right, you were it just it was, you were just hanging out.
1: Right, absolutely just along for the ride and meeting all these people and and doing all this stuff. And then, so, uh, fast forward to like six or seven years ago, um, I'm seeing uh, X play locally here. And my, again, Amy goes, hey, isn't that that guy from that uh, celebrity rehab? And I go, yeah, you know, I know that guy. And I, so I walk up and I go, Hey, what's up, Bob?
3: And he goes, ah, you know, ah. He pretended he pretended like he remembered me, but I could tell he didn't. Right. He was being polite. Uh-huh. And I said, Hey, you know what? Um I'm working at this place down the street. Can
1: I get your number and have you come talk to the kids? And he goes, Yeah, sure. So like since then he came over he came over and he talked to the people and his movie uh, I think his movie had just come out something like that and uh, we started we started talking by phone and I started hitting him up as sort of a a mentor and sort of because I have a I have a sponsor who's who also calls himself a mentor not a sponsor but I wanted to get other opinions and he's very outspoken and I I like the fact that agree or disagree you always know where he stands and then uh, my middle kid needed help and uh he ended up living with Bob for six months.
2: Really? In his and house? Then, he, yeah, well, Bob had a sober living in
3: um, in Hollywood, at the Beachwood house. And I was like,
1: man, I don't know what to do with my kid. And he goes, give him to me. And he goes, you know, I, I can't help mine, but I can help yours. You know, it's one of those one of those weird things so we you know, I would go up and visit my kid and start talking to him more and we've got a lot of things in common, a lot of friends in common and this kind of weird friendship happened, it was always kind of odd and then when he wanted to start this thing the, the, build, the don't die thing I said I don't know anything about that, I don't do podcasts, I'm not a public speaker I'm not comfortable in front of a microphone um,
0: and he goes yeah but you care about these guys So I want you to be,
2: I want you to be the other guy. That's how, that's why he picked you. That's all it was, is that he,
3: exactly that. I I think he said that in one of the early
1: ones. It was so nice, I wanted to get a hold of it and like just hold on to it for the times when I'm
3: angry. Right. But I can't play that the guy does like me and that he, he
1: thinks I'm a loving, caring individual, which is I never really saw myself like that until I heard it from people like him, because to me, I'm still the worthless piece of shit who's gonna steal whatever you leave out or I'm gonna find what you're hiding. you know I'm you know I, I don't know if I don't know how you used or what your life was like while you were using. I know a lot of people that were able to maintain jobs and they were able to maintain sort of a front, but I can't do that when i when I drink, when I use, it's obvious to everybody what I am and what's
2: going on, and it's really ugly. I had like I had like two good years, or or, two, or a year, maybe one good year of using and working, and then uh, many, many, many years of uh, of not, you know, of not working and just using. And then I had another year. I I, I couldn't pull it off either. I, I couldn't pull it off either. <laughs> right but now, so when- with with don't die though. It's like this, this it's, be, it be, it's become a weird sort of annex movement where there's this Don't Die Sacramento and Don't Die Wisconsin. What's the story there? How did that well, happen? That's, well, that's, that's Bob's whole thing that when we started it, he
1: goes, I want to do this for like what I've done for so many other bands, you know, because he found, you know, John Frusciante for the Chili Peppers.
3: He found um, Josh. You know, their current guitarists, yeah, yeah. you know. He, he finds musicians and elevates
1: them. He goes, all I wanna do is I wanna start this thing and have people who are good at it take over. So I said, okay, I, I can do that. I can, I'll, whatever you want me to do, I'll show up. But he never, you know, you never know what you're gonna talk about or what's gonna be happening on the political landscape that he might wanna get into. And I, For some reason, he thinks I'm a conservative. He believes, and, and he thinks I'm a, a church going Christian. So anytime he talks about Orange County conservative Christian
2: He thinks you, he actually, thinks you're gonna take it personal.
1: No, and he looks at me and he goes, Well, you know you guys down there in Orange County, especially you Christians and it's just like it's not it's not about what I believe but I become that that person. So to touch back on that, that other thing, when someone that you respect because they've turned their life around and they've been able to help a lot of people, says that you're a good person, that was really attractive to me, and I kind of needed that at first. Because he didn't see me the way I was. The same way my wife never saw me like that. You know, everybody else in my life, when they saw me, I was that guy that, you know, I was just, I'm not welcome in a lot of places, you know, still.
2: Where are you not welcome, Chuck?
1: Oh, I, there's a lot of doors I could knock on where I'm sure that it, it wouldn't be a pleasant memory to see me. And that was, a, uh, that was part of my ninth step, was, um, which I liked and I didn't like, was, okay, for this person, the way you're going to make amends is you're going to stay the fuck out of their life. You're not going to call them. You're not going to go where they go. And you're not going to go to their house because there's nothing you can do that will fix the kind of damage you've done. You can't say you can't just say I was wrong and I won't do it again with something where there's financial amends. You can make financial amends, and you can say I was wrong and it won't happen again. But if you don't need to deal with people, and the amends is only going to cause more pain, then to leave them alone was the answer for that. And I know a lot
2: of people in Tulsa disagree with that, but well, no people. Was, if, if it's going to cause harm, they say avoid it. How many you have? How many years clean now? 21. So, you really think there are people that wouldn't be happy to reconnect with you or hear from you after 21 years?
1: You know, I, I maybe maybe that's maybe that's just the way I think it because I'm not, I'm not the most
2: optimistic. Yeah, person I think you world. have you have a serious inferiority complex. I think <laughs> I think you're kind, you're caring. Uh, you, you know you have your shit together I think you can knock on these doors and they'd be they'd be like Chuck where you been and you'd be like well, I've, you know they'd be happy to see you Chuck I can't even imagine I can't imagine well that
1: that's kind of you to say but you know that was weird because my the one guy who I I I introduced heroin to who ended up making it a lifelong project I was the guy I was friends with since I was like five years old and, you know, grew up three, I mean, we were three houses apart on the block. And he died this last year after um, fighting it for a long time. And then right. he, had an, he had an overdose that put him into a coma. And uh, at his funeral, you know, there was his, a couple of his ex-wives and his sister and some friends and some things, people I hadn't seen for a long time, they were welcoming. And because I'm an online pastor, I got elected to, to do the talking, and I—it I, was—it was an odd thing to be hugged by people that I thought just absolutely wanted nothing to do with me ever again because of the kind of shit I caused. And you know, it's nice. It's nice to be older and have a different uh, view of things. And it is nice when when those things happen. But there, there's still are some people that all I did was do drugs with, and I maybe. You know, hurt them. I used to, I just quit doing, I used to do anger management on Monday night, oh, Wednesday nights. This last, yesterday was the last one I'm going to do. And I did that to try and keep my anger in check. And I love it more than anything when people say, I can't imagine you angry right. or hurting me. I mean, that's like my, that's one of my biggest accomplishments is to not be that guy that takes offense at everything or that hits before he thinks. You right. Know, and, that that all that was ego that people weren't thinking about me nearly as much as I wanted them to and they weren't thinking negative stuff as much as I wanted them to be and you know had to prove I was as good as them or whatever and move first on those things and it's been a last 11 years I've been teaching that class on Wednesday nights and it'll be interesting to see if old Chuck comes back I doubt it but
2: it's not well yeah that is interesting I mean I doubt it too. Uh, how long have you worked in treatment?
1: Um, well, the last six or seven years have been solid. Before that, I got away from it to go do regular work. I was building control panels, electrical control panels for a pollution control company. Because I just I couldn't be around it or in it or a part of it. And then um, my kid my older kid was getting
3: ready to graduate high school. so I wanted to get the GED before him because of the
1: high school dropout. I, mean, I don't even know if people drop out of high school anymore. Um,
2: I think they the do. I think, school. I think it's the same guys who sharpen their needles and leave their Vikings on the bus. But I mean, back then it was just one of those things where that was part of it. This is what we did.
3: You know, and it was like, man, school's a drag, bro. Let's go get a look. And, uh,
1: so I went to go get my GED, and I did pretty well on it. And, because uh, when, I, when I went back to school my senior year, I was taking freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior English,
3: because I'd never passed. So I'm not good at the English, right? Right. And I, I wasn't good at a lot of things, so I, I did a couple months and said, I'm not doing this again
1: this year, guys. I'm stepping out. My junior year, I stepped out to go to the Looney Band. My senior year, I stepped out just because it was too much. And then it was like, I said, yeah, I want to work in recovery again. And then they had all these requirements where you had to go to school and get a certification. You know, this KDAC thing is 36 units. And I looked at it like, no way. There's no way I can do 12 college courses. And once again, the wife was like, she's an English major, (laughs) you know, from a real school, Cal State Fullerton. And it's just like. She goes, You can do this, we'll walk you through it. And it took me a couple years to get through because I could only do one or two classes, it was actually two or three classes a semester, and work full time and take care of the two kids that were growing up. Right. And so it's like it took me a, a couple years, but then I had started interning and doing that. So it was about ten years ago that I was Doing interning and doing part-time work and doing all the stuff I needed to do to get my credentialing back. And since then, it's been a matter of finding a reputable place or a place that puts the clients first. The place I'm at now, I've been for a couple years, and it's like I don't, I won't badmouth the places I've been, but I have, I have respect for the guy I work for, mm-hmm. and I know where his heart is, and I've seen him make really bad business
3: decisions because it's in the best interest of the
2: client right i think a rehab that makes bad business decisions is a kind of probably a good rehab like that's a good like it's a good uh telltale if they're better with with clients and with uh those kinds of things than making money it's like they might actually be on the right track um it, it, it was funny because that was bob bob goes i goes hey
1: man call warren go down and check out his place and i go who's warren and he goes, man, just, you got to trust me on this one. And so he gave me the guy's phone number. I called him and we talked for a couple hours. And then it was like, he goes, yeah, I think you, you fit here. Come down and see what we do. And I went down and I sat there for a day. It was like uh, 19, it was a couple years ago. It was 19 years clean. And I'm sitting in the room just watching how things work. And people are coming up to me going, how long have you been clean, man? You're going to like this place. Have you
4: detoxed already? This is a great place, man.
3: And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I've I've been clean for a while. I just don't look as clean as
1: some of the other people, I guess. But, the, uh, you know, finding finding a place, and that's been kind of half the mission of what's been happening with Don't Die, is to educate people about what makes. Because rehab in and of itself is not a bad idea. Even Dr. Bob had a hospital where he helped people get through the
3: shakes. You know, right. Medically get them through that because nothing's worse than kicking in jail,
1: and I did that a bunch of times, you know. But helping people through that and, and allowing them a sort of estuary before they go back out in the ocean, you know, a place to kind of grow and to get through all the selfish shit of poor me and poor me and learning how to care about other people, you know, and then. If you know, to go back out and do life is a big deal.
2: Well, there's a shitload and, of people. There's a shitload of people who listen to this show um, who are you know chronically relapsing or can't stop using, and uh, and they do not want to go to treatment. You know, a lot of them don't. I mean, like it sounds stupid, but they don't want to be separated from their phone. They don't want to. You know, they don't. Basically, I mean, a lot of them just don't want to stop using, but like they don't want to go to treatment. A buddy of mine uh, this year, one of my best friends died, uh, and I kind of co-signed him not going to treatment. I was like, you can just go to sober living if you live there for, like, a year. You know, he wound up living there for a month and leaving. But, like, I think what you're yeah.
1: yeah not all sober livings are great but go
2: ahead sorry no but I think like what you're saying in terms of rehab as an I mean explain that point to somebody who is out there struggling and doesn't want to go to treatment why don't you give a a reason for maybe why somebody should go
1: well you know if if the way you're living isn't working and you're miserable and you see no way out of it, it it it's I feel like, you know, I can't help, I can't make anybody do anything they want to do, but we can help them achieve what they want to achieve. You know, to get into a safe place to detox so you don't die kicking, especially if you're drinking or using benzos, to get through the sickness and to be able to have people be supportive, to be able to get some life skills back on track. I mean, I know, like at our place, you know, if you don't have an ID or a driver's license, let's get that going on. If you don't have a GED, let's get that going on. Let's build a resume. Let's learn how to be among people in a safe, small place. People that know exactly what you've been through, that aren't judging you. That you can start learning, you know, I mean, I didn't think I didn't think I'd be able to go get a job anywhere at any time. It had been ten years since I'd held a legitimate job. And I had no you know, I had no reason I couldn't tell people, oh the last ten years I've been, you know, doing a lot of drugs and really work, you know, kind of interfered with that. So I've been making my living other ways, you know, but to be able to get people that to help them build their self-confidence by doing, you know, by doing respectable things so they can have some self-respect, you know, by doing esteemable things so they can have some self-esteem. I don't know where else in the world you can get that. You can find that in some of the rooms but unfortunately, 12-step, there's, there's a lot of negative places. You can get bounced out of the wrong one, you know, and get the wrong idea. But to be able to afford yourself that time, and if you're, you know, most people have been to jail for 30, 60, 90 days. And if they haven't, then they might get to. But the idea of putting aside three months, I mean, to, to be able to build a foundation so you get over the physical sickness, You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, it frees up your mind from having to worry about all the daily shit that can bring you down and get you loaded again. You've got to learn coping mechanisms. You've got to learn how to walk through a craving, you know. There's biological reasons for a craving. When you see something you used to do or hear about it, it
3: releases a little bit of dopamine. And your brain says, we know how to get more of this. All we got to do
1: is go down to the corner and get more. So to be able to learn to walk through those things and to have a supportive community around you, I—if that's what's being provided in the treatment facility where they go, then I, you know that that bullshit about one in ten or five percent of people making
2: it or whatever. There's no reason it can't be. I mean, I was sitting in the. Is the, is, the is that a thing, true? Is that a true statistic, though?
1: Yeah, but how can you get a true statistic from an anonymous thing like treatment, medical treatment, or an anonymous thing like AA, where, I mean, when was the last time you were asked? You know, I don't know where they get numbers from, but I think uh, numbers are skewed, and people always want to know success rates. I mean, I was sitting in my place with my buddy Dave and my buddy Stasar, and we're uh, August 22nd, August 23rd, and August 24th in 1997, and... We did what was in front of us to do. And up to year 19, all three of us were still clean. And right now, me and Dave still are. We don't know what happened this season. But Dave's there is somewhere. I don't know where he is or what's going on. But every year, we call each other on our birthdays. And, you know, so that was 100% of my little crowd state clean 19 years.
2: You know, that's something I really don't like. That's a little resentment I have about California, where a clean date is called a birthday. I hate that. I think it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. that's 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 my new york cynicism with that um
1: yeah but you, you guys don't clap either they clap when we say our
2: name when do they you clap know? they clap when do they there's clap just, there's such a low self-esteem
1: that when people introduce themselves going around the room and everybody gets their name right they clap I,
2: it, or what do you mean what do you mean so you say you say my name is david and i'm an addict and an alcoholic everybody claps that's excellent
3: dave
2: that's great. I should go. I should go to meetings out there. People say nothing at the meetings here. People just like yeah, they're just they're just quiet. They're welcome,
1: cool. man. You're a winner today.
2: Yeah, they don't say that. They don't say that either. At my thing, One, I went to a meeting yeah. the other day, um, and this guy he had uh, I think he had 15 or 20 years, and he was saying, and it was really deep and it was really powerful what he said. He said uh, how grateful, and this is taking us off the. The track, but I just wanted to say it. He said uh, how grateful he was that the substances were there for him when he was a kid because if he didn't have the opportunity to get drunk or high or fucked up, he would have probably killed himself because he was so lonely and so misunderstood. And it was so powerful. I mean, that, I thought it was such a powerful thing to hear in the I mean, meeting. Uh, that, I mean, that doesn't make sense to you. You didn't feel like...
1: I mean, the first time... Um, the first time I got I got high, I think was um, I think it was just just weed. I mean, I drank before that, and I drank a lot. I started with drinking and, and ended with drinking, but all the other special effects came into play, and I, I remember feeling like God gave me a hug, and that life was okay, and that things were good, and it was a solution
2: yeah no i totally i totally i just the way he said it, it it was just it was just powerful it was very sincere and like that dude was like a big old guy with a shaved head and he looked like a very tough guy and you could just tell like i don't know he meant it it was powerful yeah well i mean i don't know i, I there i
1: if i thought about it for long enough i'm sure there are times where that's the string that kept me moving along when it might have caused all the problems, it still was there. I mean, I, I don't know, I think I'm one of those people that was maladjusted from birth, you know, and that I, I found my, my fix, so to speak, in, um, in drugs. I think I was self-medicating. I know when I i know when I went to the loony bin, they always gave me diagnoses, and they always put me on Thorazine and Lithium and stuff. Um, I don't have to be on that anymore. I don't know, some people think I should be, but I'm not. Right. You know, um, but I think it it did help because that idea of not belonging, and I know, I don't think it was for you, but for me, when when Punk Rock happened, it was the outcast. It was the misfit. It wasn't the good-looking kids. It wasn't the tall guys with the cool hair and the the nice cars. It was kind of the losers.
2: Right.
3: It was kind of the people that really didn't fit anywhere
2: else. Well, it was a yeah. movement. It was a movement that even made good-looking people need to be ugly. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I mean that—that's yeah. something in itself. You know, because a lot of those guys are beautiful, but they fucking ugly themselves up to be a misfit of punk rock. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, but not only that, it wasn't even, it wasn't necessary to be uh, cheat you, were just sort of, it was the sort of the next generation of hippies, because it was a lot of complaining without any solution, you know, which is kind of what happened with the hippies, is they, they said, man, there's a lot of shit wrong, but they didn't have a whole lot of workable solution to add to it, and, and punk rock was just like an angrier hippie thing, where, where it's like... Super angry, not really sure why, but I think it's got something to do with the government. My parents, right? So I'm
2: going to
1: rebel. Not
2: not to mention prog rock and cocaine and disco and all that shit. You know, and all of it. it, I think all that stuff was there. Music
3: was there for me in the same way, dope and booze
1: was, and they they went hand in hand. I mean, I, I remember being a little kid and like my first. I was playing with that guy, Eric, the guy that died this year after a long-ass struggle that was ugly. It makes me so grateful I was playing this time. But he, uh, you know, we he had a drum kit and I had an out-of-tune guitar. And we went down to the bonds and we bought beer beer and candy cigarettes. You know, that's the bubble gum cigarettes that you blow on them and the little puff of cloud coming out the end.
3: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: we were going to be musicians and this is what musicians did. They drank beer and they smoked cigarettes. You know, and then, so it was like kind of that whole thing. It was so attractive. They were like not real people with real problems. You know, I, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I ever found a place where I felt like I fit until about
2: being five or six years sober. And where was that? It was it's funny
1: enough. Besides meetings, was actually with my with my family, and then I was three years sober when I met uh, Amy, and I, I, I found a place where I was, and that wasn't because of the, the place, but it was me being comfortable with me. You know, if that makes any sense.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the the, the biggest beauty of uh, of of getting clean, that you can be in touch with who you actually are, your truest self, whatever the expression is, your most genuine self. I mean, that's that's something that I always craved when I was trying to get clean. Like, I'd hear that phrase, and I knew that it meant something. But it wasn't until that you actually find yourself clean in you that it is something, you know? Yeah,
3: and, and then
1: even that took time. I mean, just the, the, the time for the everything to leave the system, and to get the physical body back unfortunately that happens quick you know in 30 30 60 days people start looking better feeling better but emotionally they're still fouled up we still are i still am at 21 years i mean my sponsor every year he tells me on my anniversary or on my sobriety date he'll tell me you know you're living proof that you can stay so over 21 years without an ounce of change and i know that he he knows that I've changed because I've changed a lot in the last uh, eight or nine years that I've been working with him. But um,
3: the idea that I'm still fouled up, that I'm still a right. still neurotic, I'm
1: still—I have my up ups and my down downs, and I, you know, and but I, I'm making my way, and I'm comfortable with it. Right. I guess that's, that's, that's a big deal because I can't—the idea of never doing drugs again, for me, just still sounds like a bad idea. I mean, it didn't sound good when I got clean and it it, it doesn't sound like a good idea now, but it's so much better. You know, life is, I I care if I live or die now, and I didn't, you know, and that's the weirdest thing is I'd been suicidal, but the idea of if I died, no big deal, no one's gonna miss me, which was a lie but I, I believed it and that it's not going to make any difference in the world you know and I'm an example of not, how not to do things you know
2: and well now but important. now you're an example of, of how to do things and now, now uh, well I mean that's arguable well I mean you, you help people I mean you do you do counseling and you run groups right yeah and you're 21 years clean you do a a successful addiction podcast I mean it might not be dopey but it's pretty good <laughs> no you know it's,
1: it's certainly not dopey
2: this is this is nerve wracking to talk to you why it's just because
1: uh, I know people uh, hold you and what you do in high esteem and I you know
2: that just seems like the the, the, the biggest crock in the world um it, it's just like it's <laughs> like know? it's funny you know I, I appreciate but, it we are going to say it's
1: because you're because you're in the middle of it I uh, the band I'm, I've been in for the last a uh, couple years has a has a, a good following out here and people will come up to me all the time and they'll go, Oh dude, you play guitar for smut pedlers? They're rad. And it's just like, you know, wow, you're you're kind of famous. And I go, no, famous means people know who you are. That's what I mean. So when people ask me,
2: dude, are you famous? But if you have to ask, I'm not Oh yeah. I, I mean I mean in my situation I, I wait tables and nobody knows my last name unless you listen to the show. And, and like, you know, there, it's like I'm a fucking servant, you know. I am not. Uh, but, but I love that people like the show. And I love that, um, you know, and I only have three, three and a half years. You know, I have three years and six months, basically, and, um, which is nothing. I, I just like take the take, fa- huh? Take
1: the only out of that. That's a long-ass time for someone trying to quit right now.
2: No, exact. You're right. You're right. I'm just saying next to you, next to some uh very long-term old-timer and 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 like and I remember before Chris died, he had 4 years and um and I you know, it's so fucked up. I would always be like you know, I had this jealousy thing built into me where I was like I'll never have as much clean time as him, you know? <coughs> and um and of course Chris died and like i don't have his clean time yet but i hopefully i'll get to it it's just like it, it's like i get emails all the time from people who uh say you know that i'm some sort of uh in, inspiring type and uh, and it's, it's but you know you and you're not going to accept that because oh what was that thing it low self esteem maybe yeah
1: i i don't want to believe uh, good things that happen or when people say stuff it's embarrassing you know when someone says hey will you, will you sign this CD I go oh god you know and you know I, my drummer Julia she goes um, it's not a signature anymore
3: it's an autograph and I'm like oh no weird That's I, I cool, can't though. wrap
1: my head around that because those are the people that actually achieve greatness you know what I mean They're, I have my heroes and
3: they have autographs i have
2: a signature no i know what you mean and but one thing that i struggle with is is i can ignore 50 amazing comments and the one person who says that the show sucks shit or i'm an idiot fucks yeah. me up beyond belief you know it totally will derail me and then the rest of the right. audience is like you're a pussy and you have th- thin skin and you 're soft and and they're right, I am a pussy, and I have thin skin and but, but like why why should I not take any of the good stuff in and only take the bad stuff like that 's the question I think that's probably that may be one of the characteristics of people that end up
1: using like we did right i think I think, I think it may be one of those things there are people that just. Inherently, whether it's genetically, whether it's environment, or whether it's genetics, nature nurture, whatever—I, I, I don't get into those arguments anymore. I used to all the time because I'd say, you know, my my grandpa was beat to death, and while he was being robbed, on a, on a drunken vendor you know, my great grandfather was was blown up. He was working in a dynamite factory, and he was on of one of those little hand. Uh, like um, like from the cartoons you know, on the railroad tracks, he yeah. had a little hand. Yeah. He was moving dynamite from one building to another and got blown up. Probably alcohol-related, he drank a lot, and he was one of those things. So I can, like my brother's dead, you know, so it's like I can look at it, and there's like a lineage of this type of
3: behavior. So I, I you know, i the genetic predisposition and stuff, I, I
1: don't even argue that anymore. I just know that there are certain things about the people that are, I end up being friends with and you know Bob tells me when I tell him those things I go man someone was telling me this was really good and he goes don't listen to it he Goes because if you listen to them you gotta listen to the bad shit too Right. and whenever there's good shit there's gonna be the opposing you know the good shit and the bad shit comes and he goes you know I, when you start hearing the good stuff it changes who you are and people don't like you because of who you're going to be. They like you the way you are right now. You know, and it's like, okay, my, my circle of people is, is small, but it's, but it's solid, you know? I've got a, a bunch of, you know, a dozen people I could call day or night. People that I want to see, not people that I that I dread having to talk to, you know?
2: Right. It's a, it's a different world,
1: but so, I don't know where that was going. I rabbit-holed that
3: one, sorry.
2: It's okay. What what do you want? Um, We're gonna be done. Um, What do you want to What do you want to leave the uh, the Dopey Nation with? Is there any kind of message you want to put out there? Is there anything you want to tell Amy secretly on the show so when she listens to it, she (laughs) could be like, "I can't believe it." Yeah. Uh, No,
1: man. Other than you know her her support and her being who she is and being as honest and as forthright about everything that she is has been my example since I met her you know when when I met her uh I don't know real short I uh I was I was working at a truck body shop that was right around the corner from her bank and I couldn't cash my checks there because I didn't have any ID I was 30 years old and didn't have ID And, and so she would help me at her teller window and she was just this kind caring person and um And I asked her once if she'd go out and she goes, you know what, I like guys to have driver's licenses. I have standards, (laughs) but is there a nice way of telling me no? And I'm a little bit older than she is, but you know, so I I liked her. And she taught me how to talk to people and to be genuine outside of my AA, my NA, my CMA circles. You know, it's just such a cool thing, man. If you find somebody like that, don't let them go. Stock them. That's what I did. She accuses me of stalking her. And, uh, well, it's, uh, other other than that, man, if you're,
4: if you want to stop and you've tried to stop and you can't
3: stop using on your own, get help. I don't,
1: I don't care if you, if you only commit to a, a 10 day detox somewhere or get your name on a list or, Even if you try Suboxone, I mean, I used to be so anti-harm reduction, but please, man, people are dying or living lives that are just not worth living, and it's such a waste of this time on Earth. I'm not sure what happens next. I don't know a lot of people that do know what happens after we're done here on Earth, but there is another way, and it doesn't have to, and as miserable as it sounds, it's not. And if you would have told me that when I was new, that I was going to actually enjoy my life someday. I just couldn't go on the way I was going on anymore. I didn't know that it would actually get good. You know, so, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and get it.
2: Because there's so much people, there's so many people out there who are willing to help at any minute, you know. That's totally, I say that all the time, you know, it's like, if you guys need help, ask anybody, ask me, ask Chuck, ask Bob, ask any of these don't die people, ask anybody in the Dopey Nation with clean time, everybody who's clean wants to help you. Because we got help. Right, but if if you're using and it's fun and it's not killing your life and everything's great, more power to you. Yeah,
3: sure. You no,
1: know, I don't, I'm not anti-drug or alcohol or anything like that. Because it's just me, I'm the one in 10 that seems to have a problem with it. Yeah. There's millions of us across the country, but there's 300 million people, you know, and most people don't have to, they don't, they don't let it grind them down into a, such a pathetic state as I, I lived in, you know, and I, it doesn't have to be that way, man, and it,
2: and it gets better, and
1: hang on, well, hang I, on to your ass.
2: I appreciate you coming on, Chuck, and, uh, and thank you, Amy, for listening. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, everybody else, and uh, an awesome Chuck. Uh, I'm glad to have you uh, in the in the. In, you see, you don't hate dopey anymore, right?
1: No, I, I I didn't hate it. No, I don't. I don't hate, and I like hearing what you know she shares. We have kind of different lives. She doesn't like the, a lot of the music I like, and so I kind of have this. We have separate lives that we bring together, and I like what she shares with me about what's going on with you guys.
2: All right, cool and I know
1: it, it it busted her up when she was telling me about Chris, and I haven't seen her so much
2: about much, oh yeah, man. it's really it really affected a lot of people, and uh it's just it was just something you didn't expect. I actually opened the episode with uh with a little bit of me and Chris singing the Chili's Baby back ribs commercial, so uh <laughs> so you should listen to the opening. If you listen to the episode, and, that, and that's why Chris was so special, and that's why I think Dopey was so special because we had this innocence, and, and you didn't think that even though we were drug addicts, that it was going to happen, but it can happen to anybody. Anybody that uses can, can potentially die the second they do it. So just, I always tell people to be careful. You know, it's, it's easier to say be careful than don't use, but just, you know, ask for help if yeah. you can. you know, um, don't, don't use alone. If you are using,
1: and you can get to a test kit, test that dope or do a test shot. You know, have Narcan around. Watch your buddies, man. Don't okay. just if you're not if you're not ready to get clean, at least don't die until you're ready to be
2: safe. Exactly, I agree. It can be. Well, thanks, Bob. I'm time. Mean, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Chuck. Fuck me. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. All right, I appreciate man. it, Thank man. Thank you. All right, man.
1: Very interesting. We didn't talk about anything I thought we'd talk about.
2: Well, what, do you, what did you think we'd talk about?
1: Guitars, singers.
2: Well, we talked singers. about that. We talked about that earlier. We can talk about that again <laughs> another time. All right. All right, man. Thanks. Have a good night, man. You too. Bye. Bye. So that was... Uh, The the very delightful and highly sober Chuck Davis from Bob Forrest's Don't Die podcast. And fucking I'd love to know what you guys think of Chuck. So write us an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you think. And I am fucking sick at home. Uh, Very ill, not well. And my very dear friend Aurora has decided to come on the show and uh, finish the show. So here she is. What's going on? Hi Dave. Hi, Dopey Nation. What's going on?
5: Could you describe me as, as uh, highly sober
2: as well? I would describe you as my dear friend Aurora. Highly, <laughs> my highly sober dear friend Aurora. Yes, yeah, so you're highly sober. I mean, that dude had, uh, I think he had 21 years, but I had a fever during the interview. The Dopey Nation should know how I sacrificed my brain and body for the show.
5: So you're sick?
2: Well, the truth of the story is, and I don't know how much you've kept up with my maladies over the last few weeks but i uh i had a bad tooth and i went to the dentist and they removed the tooth right which i
5: got i've got one that's ready to blow up ready to be removed
2: really mhm well check oh yeah as they're removing the tooth you know and and i'm going to recap this for the Dopey nation and for you the dude, he's this fucking, he's a very funny guy. He's like 65-year-old bald guy, Dr. Bob, his name is. And he hovers above me, and he goes, Yeah, it's no big deal. We'll just take that tooth out two one, two, three. And he takes the pliers, you know, and he jams it in my mouth, and he grabs the tooth. And this man is a fit guy. He goes to the gym every day. But he's fucking ripping the shit out of my head. He's got his fucking elbow against my chest, and I just hear cracking as he's wrenching the tooth out of my mouth. And then it turns out the tooth was so fucking sick that he only pulled the top piece out, and he he couldn't get the bottom piece out. So he has to cut into the bone, okay? And as he's cutting into the bone to remove the bottom piece, What he doesn't know and what I don't know is that he's hit an artery. Oh my God. um, So I will be bleeding for the next few days. And and it became this gelatinous something called a liver blood clot, which is like. Sounds
5: like a total hack, Dave. Dr. Bob? How dare you? Yeah. Dr. Dr. Bob. No. Sounds like a hack.
2: He's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. He shouldn't
5: have hit an artery. Listen. You You should go to an oral surgeon next time.
2: He's, he was telling me how I should be thanking him that I didn't have to be put under, that he saved me, you know, a thousand bucks or something. But oh, fuck
5: that guy. You
3: should go see
2: an oil sergeant. The fucking blood clot in my head was like, I don't even, it was like the size of my pinky. And my pinky is huge, and it's just this gelatinous blood in my mouth. And he had to suck it out, and then he had me fucking gauze it up for like a day. And this was last week. And I, and then I went to work on Sunday and I waited tables, and then I started to feel kind of shitty. And, and the fact of the matter was that my my sad little immune system had been compromised by this terrible happening. And uh, and and as my immune system is trying to guard the hole in my mouth from infection, all the germs in the restaurant in my house came and got me. And uh, and this week I just got a fever and I got fucking sick.
5: Well, I'm sorry you're sick. Okay. I've had so much dental work. I've had three teeth extracted, really? crowns, root canals. So, if anyone from the Dopey Nation would like, you know, any kind of advice, suggestions, uh, emotional support, financial, uh, you know, suggestions on how to handle a lot of dental work, please let me know.
2: Okay, so what? When did? When? When's the last time you had a tooth pulled from your head?
5: Uh, it's been, I think it's been four or five years since I had three extracted.
2: You had them three at once? Yeah. How did they do it?
5: Uh, you know, I just, a lot of Novocaine and uh, a lot of tears. And I just really trusted this oral surgeon. He was really excellent to me. Always fair. Um, and
2: I remember that. I remember when you were like negotiating dental debt. And all that yeah. stuff, fucking. I paid,
5: I paid over twenty two thousand dollars to have those three teeth extracted, implants, bone grafting, and crowns. Wow, implants! And I, just, and I just paid it all off last year.
2: Well, that's pretty impressive. That's some sober living right there. You know, this yeah. guy. Well, I'm I fucking have,
5: have one more. I have one more that's coming up here.
2: So you got I'm implants waiting. where the teeth were. Yeah. You think yeah. I should do that too?
5: A hundred percent. I I think that you know. I think that if you leave those molars empty, that over time, I mean, the molars are there to help like distribute the the weights of biting. So if you don't, if you don't have those molars there over time, your teeth can shift around. It's not good for the healthier mouth and the healthier mouth is super important to your overall health. So I think you should get implants. You don't have to get them. You know, you can wait a year, year and a half because they're expensive, but. You should
2: get them. Dr. Bob said he'd, he'd be satisfied if I just had the hole.
5: Dr. Bob, <laughs> I think, is a, is a hack. I mean, you know.
2: Aurora, if you met Dr. Bob, you would think he was the most wonderful man. He's just incredibly funny, incredibly sweet guy. Um,
5: I've, I've, I've met – you know, I've had a lot of dental work. I've gone to a lot of dentists. I've been um, – I've had some really shitty treatment. I've been taken advantage of um, and I've had some great, great dental work and some great doctors. So um, – you know, I don't think there's any reason that anybody very experienced should have hit an artery. Do I think it happens? Sure. But I and also the fact that he's advising you not to get an implant. I just I don't trust this guy, Dave. All
2: right. Well, Dopey is not the podcast about dental hygiene, hygiene and, and, <laughs> well, and I
5: mean, a lot of junkies lose their teeth. So I, this is a, an important PSA.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And, and um It's funny because it's been like when I get sick, all it does is it reminds me of like, uh, you know, the wreckage of my past. You know, when I get sick, it's like I'm on drugs, you know, or I'm in withdrawal or like things like nothing is I can't handle anything because I'm sick, you know, and uh, and it all comes rushing back to me every time I get sick. So part of me enjoys it. Like, you know that about me. Part of me enjoys the getting sick, like it's nostalgic. But on the other hand, it's like I hate being weak, you know?
5: Yeah. Well, I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to feel better. You are more susceptible in the winter to getting sick. But it seems like, you know, you're still you're still doing dopey. You're still going to work. So you're getting shit done. Of course. I'm sure you're – sure what, what television show are you marathoning at the same time?
2: Well, it's interesting because, um, I don't know, like, what was the last one I marathoned was, you know, I don't even know anymore. I'm done. Like, I'm done with watching these same shows over and over again. I can't do it anymore. I had started to watch The Wire again as a relaxation thing, and then all of a sudden HBO started running The Sopranos again in this whole sickness thing. So I started looking at both, but then I realized I've just seen these shows too many times. So I, you I, know that
5: was my New Year's resolution last year for 2018 was to watch, you know, The Sopranos, and I didn't do it. I can never get past season one.
2: Well, just start at season two then. You, I mean, The Sopranos is worth watching. Um, you should start at season two. Um, the, the next thing that happened to me this week was uh, for the first time ever, I got called into jury duty, you know. Have you ever done jury duty?
5: Yeah, I did it once in New York.
2: Yeah. Well, and did, and they, I did it once. Did they I,
5: I got picked. I was one of the first, like, you know, I was one of the first nine or ten people that they asked questions to, and I got picked for the jury, and I did a three-day trial. And? And I had a major panic attack during one day of the trial. Um and it was very upsetting because it was this woman who had said the bus stopped short and she fell and dislocated her shoulder and the woman was African-American and had been on welfare and disability most of her life and so they were painting her as you know trying to get one over on the system and it just was really sad because like you know she was very elderly and it brought up a lot of issues of race and class and um it was just really sad, and she had, like, given, you know, one doctor, she said it was her right shoulder. The other doctor, she said it was her left. So ultimately, like, you know, they, they, she wasn't awarded any money, but it, it just felt really shitty, and it was just really kind of sad.
2: You know, I asked myself out of jury duty, I claimed financial exhaustion. I said that
3: that's
2: I could. I, yeah, I no. said I said I couldn't do it. They said it was going to be a month, and I just said I couldn't do it. That my that my family could not afford me not making money for a month. You know, well, that's true. It is true. Now we're going to jump right into something here, okay? Okay. This okay. is an email, okay? And it's an interesting, very angry email. Do you want to hear it? Sure. It is from a guy named what's his name, Patrick. His name is Patrick. He writes, Hey Dave in the Dopey Nation, I'm Patrick from beautiful Bayonne, New Jersey. I'm a long time listener and this is my fourth email to the show and you've never read any of the others and you're probably not going to read this one, but what the fuck, I'll keep trying. Dave, I hope when you get this that you are in good health, although you did say in last week's episode that you had a tooth pulled, that is some painful shit, you gotta take care of yourself, Dave, cause that fucking mouth hole of yours is your money maker, and I for one don't wanna hear you all fucking toothless and shit, lisping and slurring through every episode like a fucking retard. Anyway, I love the show, and my sponsor said that I should let you know what's going on in my mind. He says that I'm working a good program, and I have just the right combination of serenity mixed with bitterness that keeps it real. I love that guy. Uh, I've never had an actual moment of clarity, and I don't currently reside in a fluffy pink cloud, but hey, I ain't drinking or using, so there you go. I just want to let you know that I think you're doing a great job by yourself ever since Chris checked out. I'm fucking pissed off about that shit, but there's nothing any of us can do, and I'd rather talk about some other real shit that bothers me. And now like that douchebag, Joe Shrank. And that's a guy who came on a few weeks ago. And he says, uh, what an ego on that guy. I mean, you were telling the Dopey Nation just about just hitting your one millionth downloads when that cocksucker goes in a story about some bullshit thing that he worked on getting a million views and didn't even let you have a minute of glory. Yeah, he did that. Um, you know, we hit the million downloads, right? Yeah, yeah. Whose show did he think he was on? And for fuck's sake, what kind of program is he working when he couldn't say enough bad things about those businesses that he started? Look here, Joe Stank. (laughs) Uh, When you get pushed out three times from your own companies, maybe the fucking problem is you. Does anybody else see a pattern here? And why does it sound like this guy wants to keep everyone doped up for the rest of their lives? For someone that claims to have 22 years of sobriety, he seems like the least sober guest you've ever had on the podcast. Don't get me wrong. I do think that not dying is good, but there comes a point in everyone's recovery when getting off all of that shit is the only way to live a life beyond your wildest dreams instead of just dreaming about that life. This fucking guy just seems like he's warping recovery into a business where he can co-sign his client's addictions with more prescriptions and more dependency. I guess what I'm trying to fucking say is that by definition, you can't be sober if you're still taking drugs. And then if you're still taking drugs or drinking just because that wasn't your drug of choice, can you really be in recovery? And then... Uh, What's up with some of those comments on Facebook? Some guy had the nerve to say that this podcast is going to complete shit, if not there already. And then later in the comments, he says he's not talking shit when, in fact, he he shit-talked the podcast in his original post. Obviously, this dude is not well and needs some serious help, so I will give it to him now. Go to a fucking meeting. Get a fucking sponsor. Work the fucking steps. Be a fucking service. And stop running your fucking mouth. And also for you people that think this podcast is too long. I love this guy, by the way. Um, I
5: love this guy from beautiful Bayonne. Yeah, from He's fucking
2: cool. Bayonne. I don't, have you ever been to Bayonne? I
5: mean, I've been through
2: it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been there. Um, uh, why don't you go over to Target and buy yourself a fucking egg timer, set it for an hour, and when it goes ding, turn the fucking show off. Because obviously that's all your little fucking wet brain can handle. And then listen next week for an hour or not. Well, that's all I've got for now. It's probably too much, but I don't give a fuck. Maybe that means I'm getting better because I really don't care as much as I used to about what other people think of me. Anyway, Dave, I really appreciate what you do, and I promise to be a content member of the Dopey Nation that won't make suggestions about who you should have on the show because I'm sure it's hard as fuck trying to schedule people and stay sane and work and have a family and everything else. I hope you read this, but if you don't, I'll send a fifth and then a sixth until I wear you down. Just kidding. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. And that's Patrick. That's some email, right?
5: Yeah, that's a great email. Patrick had some really good insights, and I love the fucking truth he was serving.
2: Yeah, did you? Did you, yeah. you you're not you. You're uh, uh, you're spared from the Dopey Nation Facebook group, right? Or are you a member of that?
5: No, I am a member.
2: Did you see all that shit talking about me last week on Dopey Nation?
5: I knew I knew it was gonna drive you insane. I saw it, I was like, Oh god, Dave's
2: gonna go insane. Oh my god. Yeah. I went I went berserk. I went berserk. I'm, I'm sure. I was not I don't handle criticism well. I'm a fucking pussy.
5: You are a pussy. I don't even think you should have acknowledged It, it Makes you look like a pussy.
2: Acknowledge it where? Here? Now?
5: Yeah, and on Facebook.
2: I didn't acknowledge it on Facebook. Oh I did. I did, you right? Did.
5: I said state
2: of the dopey nation. Listen. Then
5: again, then again, that's what I like about you, Dave. You wear your insecurities and your, and your feelings right on your sleeve.
2: Like, what am I going to do? Like, have something bother me and then not mention it? Isn't that where resentment is formed? Yes. So, you know, I, I wound up writing. I mean, come
5: on, I, you've got a million downloads. Like, people are going to be critical. I know,
2: you know. I know. I want everyone to love me and I want everyone to love the show. I know. You know?
5: Look at at Patrick. Patrick's like, fuck that guy. You know, he should go to Target and get an egg timer.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I should get an egg timer. Do you have an egg timer?
5: No, I don't. But, you know, I love Target. Yeah. It's my happy place. I was feeling like fritzed out yesterday. So at lunch, I like walked to Target and walked around for 15 minutes. (laughs) How crazy is that? I was like, oh, I feel much better
2: now. Linda loves Target like that. Fucking yesterday, me and Linda go out to lunch with her family. And as we're at lunch, like, I feel the sickness come on to me. And you know I don't do well with sickness or whatever. So I go to Linda. We got to go now, you know. I, like, screamed at her in front of her dad and her brother. And she got very upset. And then we had to go to Target. You know what I mean? And the yeah. fever is just creeping in. And she's like, "Let's look at these strollers." And I'm like, "I gotta get the fuck out of here!" And and thank God when I got home, I had a fever. You know, because we would have it would have been so bad if I wasn't actually sick.
5: <laughs> Good. Now Good. I'm glad you were actually sick to get out of Target. I mean, I set a timer sometimes when I go to Target. Otherwise, and sometimes I just am like. Fuck it. If you want to spend 90 minutes looking at moisturizer and, and pajamas, go for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like Target because they have, I mean, and, and maybe Target should sponsor the show, but the greatest Patrick. thing about about Target is they have everything over there. If you need it, they got it. They got socks. They got light bulbs. They got cat litter. This episode is brought to you by Target. And I also I like... like
5: that, what? I like that Patrick said that he loves his sponsor. I think that's nice.
2: How's I your sponsor? That?
5: She's great. I I mean, that's what I was thinking. I love my sponsor so much. And I once heard this speaker tape and this this old timer say, like, if you don't love your sponsor, get a new one. (laughs)
2: Well, yeah, that's true, though. You know who I just spoke to? Uh, My dad and my dad. My dad says uh, he sends you uh, hugs and kisses. And he hopes that you don't say, you know, too much on the show.
5: (laughs) I'm doing my best, Alan. It's all I can do. Are
2: you thinking about the you knows?
5: No, not until this moment.
2: Yeah, that's funny. Um, So what the Dopey Nation doesn't know is that my dear friend Aurora recently traveled far east to Japan
5: for Christmas. Christmas and New Year's. Yes, they did.
2: And you worked there, too, right?
5: I was there in 2011 for work. Yes. So this is my second trip to Japan. And? And uh, I love it. I love traveling there. It's beautiful. I love the culture. I love the people. I love the food, the history, the cities, um, the mountains. Uh, yeah, I went to Tokyo, Takayama. Uh, I went to Kyoto and Osaka and Kamagawa. Wow. And... Yeah, I went to a lot of temples and onsen. It was beautiful. I can't wait to go back again.
2: You know, I always get we always get dinner from a place in in town called onsen. What is onsen? It's a province in Japan?
5: No, an onsen is uh, is an like there's a lot of hot springs in Japan and so an onsen is like a indoor and outdoor um hot spring where you soak where you're you are you're separated men and women for the most part. There are some where you're mixed, but you're totally naked and you're with strangers and you shower and then you go outside into these hot springs and mineral pools and they'll have sometimes just one or sometimes many that are different temperatures or with different mineral properties and you just hang out. So like we were in the mountains and it's snowing and we're outside in like this 80, 90 degree hot spring. It's, it's So you got
2: naked in front of Japanese strangers?
5: Uh, yeah and nice. strangers of you know from all over the world other nice. people that we're traveling too.
2: and yeah. this this is a true gift of your recovery all this travel but but i thought there was some downside to the trip
5: yeah i mean the trip was um you know the trip was also hard in some ways just because um you know i think that I went through this breakup in October, and so it brought up some feelings for me of, like, sadness and anger that, you know, I really want to have a partner, and so I want to be able to take vacations with a romantic partner. I was with my best friend and her son, who I love dearly, and but, you know, it's a very different kind of travel experience, so, right. you know— and. And and I think you know too. Like when you're recently going through a breakup, to the holidays can be a difficult time. So, you know, in some ways, it there was some disappointment there. You know,
2: yeah. yeah, 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 totally. But um, I'm glad that uh, yeah, I mean, it's awesome that you get to do it. And it's like it's weird, you know, because you always want what you don't have. You know what I mean? And uh, and, and I think that like. An addict is is uh, incredibly prone to feeling, you know, worse about something. Like like for example, that Facebook comment got me so upset, you know, or like you can get down about something in the moment, uh, because th- like, like that's kind of the way we're programmed. You know what I mean? Yeah, like oh, I, I do. I was at a meeting this week, and, uh, and and it was a bunch of people talking about kind of like luxury problems, you know, and um. The truth is that I'm like, I forget the difference between, you know, when I was totally down and out uh, and my problems now. You know, I, I, I tend to, to deal with a problem now that's like, you know, not a major problem as though it was like a life or death thing. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't, it's my addict brain or whatever it has a hard time differentiating. You know, between what, what's worth getting upset about and what's worth just living with, you know?
5: Yeah. That's when I think, you know, it's it's like what's been on my mind this week is like the impermanence of of feelings, you know, of how much my perspective can change within a day. You know what I mean? That I can think I have a problem about something and then, you know, some, some recovery kicks in where I'm like, okay, I you know, that's actually not a problem. I can find some gratitude. I can think about this differently. Um, you know, there's a lot of different tools I have, whether it's a meeting or meditation or moving a muscle to kind of, you know, or just saying like, please God, like, you know, take these obsessive thoughts from me right now, because like, you know, I don't need to spin out about some kind of first world problem that I think I have.
2: So so you're saying this is working for you? (laughs)
5: <laughs> yeah, it is working for me.
2: Because I forget. I forget all that stuff uh, uh, in but the I moment. Mean, I,
5: but within, but within a, a day, you know, I can forget too, you know. I can be really like spun out and in a shitty mood. Uh, and then a couple hours later can almost feel like a pink cloud, like a real high. Like, oh, I've got to remember like, you know, to have a positive mental attitude. You know, like, like this week, I was like, you know, there was one day I was like, I'm fucking too old. I'm always going to be alone. Nobody's ever going to love me. It's just not going to happen for me. And, you know, then a couple hours later, I'm like, I am fucking beautiful. I'm still young. I have a job. I have a great apartment. I have friends and people that love me like you know there are millions of men out there like there are so many possibilities my god life is beautiful you know what i mean like that's within one day
2: right 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 that's
5: the thinking
2: right that's that's funny and that's awesome and i think that's a that's a great like sort of lesson for anybody out there who's listening that's struggling. That you can I mean, I hate all the fucking Pollyanna ish shit about AA, but the fact is that these tools work. And you can turn something over by asking for help or by asking somebody else how they're doing. And it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And I know you and I do that all the time with each other, you know, and uh and it's great, you know? I mean the
5: other thing about, you know,
2: wouldn't you say it's great that you and I do that with each other
5: yeah no that is a real gift because yeah. in the past you and I might disagree or have a fight and not talk for a month two three months and now we can apologize and talk about it right which is a real, which is a real gift I'm really grateful for that
2: all right just take, I mean, it you know, take it I easy take it easy with a, this gratitude you're freaking me out I, really. know.
5: I had a rough you know I had a shitty day a couple of days ago and You know, I just knew, like, all right, today is really shitty. I don't like my reactions. I I made some mistakes. I had to do a 10-step. My thinking was fucked up that day. But, you know, I went to some back-to-back meetings. I went to the gym a bunch. I took a fucking hot bath. I talked to friends. Like, you know, it's impermanent. You know what I mean? Like, yesterday and today have been way better days. Um, So...
2: There you go. You know? Um, I'm going to read another email, okay? Okay. This is from Teresa, okay? She says, Hi Dave, I'm back on the dopey wagon, listening constantly and really enjoying your interviews. Sans Chris, which is much to my surprise, and only because I was so convinced the show would never be the same again. And it won't. But it's equally as good, and that's got to feel amazing on your part. Thank you for doing this. It's the most real thing in my life. My little time listening on my commute to my fancy job and home again to my perfect family and home. Not that I don't absolutely adore my life now, hearing the stories, it scratches the itch to live free and do whatever the fuck I want. The craving to visit the ex-lover that is my drugs and the secretly getting away with it like you spoke about with Chris. Thanks for bringing your impeccable comic timing. This this lady is really nice. And your genius conversational skills to the dark-ass shit that is so fucking real and present uh, in society and yet so unspoken about. Thanks for bringing it to the forefront comfortably and hilariously on this podcast and sending it out in the world. My prayers and love with you and your family. Also, so cool to hear Linda on the show. She's super cool and funny-sounding. Stay strong and toodles. Well, you know, thank you, Teresa. Isn't that an amazing email?
5: That's really nice, Dave. I'm sure that was a good counter
2: to that other shitty email you got. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm incredibly grateful to do the show. I think a a weird thing about the show is like, you know, like it's not as like debaucherous as it was, you know, and it's like I sometimes forget to pump it up with the dopey stories, you know, like I don't I think this episode is going to definitely be on the recovery side of dopey. But, um, but I don't know, you know, it is what it is. You know what I mean? You got any debaucherous story you want to tell before you go?
5: Well, sure. I'll tell this one story about this. Uh, I went to this wedding in Marin County outside of San Francisco, And that was during my like champagne phase when I was like only drinking champagne. (laughs) And so I went to this good friend's wedding and, you know, it started during the during the day and I started drinking champagne really early. I don't think I had very much water or any food that day. Um, And, you know, cut to like midnight. We're all still partying. I had also been smoking a lot of weed and taking some pills, and I'm in the hot tub, and I can feel myself starting to like pass out, blackout. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to die. I don't want to drown. So I'm going to get out of the hot tub. And, you know, cut to me waking up the next morning topless with a fucking complete stranger. Um, door open you know I'm in like a, a house that like everyone from the wedding party is staying at I have no recollection of like how I got into the hot tub who's this guy next to me how you know I'm half naked and come to find out like I have been passed out with my top off that like everyone from the party had seen me you know it was just fucking humiliating so I this guy was going down The hill from Stinson Beach back into San Fran and gave me a ride that morning. And it is such, it's like one of the windiest roads ever. And it was the first time that I had like the most excruciating hangover, headache, uh, wanted to throw up, anxiety, shame, just like a total fear, you know? And that would be, that would be a kind of hangover that I would have for, you know, the next 15 years
2: right Um, when was that
5: uh, that was
2: uh in my mid-20s your champagne phase yeah it
5: was about yeah 25 26 my my champagne years
2: i think that's funny that's that's that is a little classic dopey i want to tell a quick story you want to listen to a a terrible story you never like to hear my stories but you want to hear a quick one yeah All right. When I, when I lived in Los Angeles with, uh, with Todd and Jeremy, Mm
5: -hmm. me
2: and Todd worked on, um, worked on this shitty fucking movie and, uh, and I had gone out there, you know, from rehab with the intention of, of just smoking pot. But what I didn't know is that Todd had gotten hooked on crystal meth. So as soon as I got back there, uh, Todd was in San Francisco and he came back down and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm smoking meth. And I was like, well, I want to smoke meth. So I just went on some crazy meth run with him. And, uh, And as soon as I ever did meth, I realized, like, I'm not cut out to do meth. You know, it's not it's not a drug that works with my you know, uh, biology or neurotic brain. So the second I'm doing the meth, all I can think is I want to do dope. I want to do pills. I want to do dope. I want to do pills. And, uh, and Todd had been getting the meth from this guy, this classic LA fucking meth dealer and his name. And I'm not even joking. His name was diggy. Okay. Diggy, you know, he was like one of these dudes with like short hair and a white t-shirt and jeans. He looked like a skater kind of guy, pale, messy guy named Diggy. And, uh, and I met with Diggy before me and Todd went to go work on the movie. And I said, dude, can you please get me some fucking dope so that when I get home, I can finally feel okay. And Diggy was like, yeah, you got it. You got it. You know, and I gave Diggy all this money and I went with Todd to work on the movie and um and todd had wound up getting home early you know he his his day ended before mine right and uh and i go home and todd and diggy are there and it turned out that fucking todd had gotten the dope from diggy uh to protect me from the heroin and todd had taken the heroin and done it and, uh, and I got so fucking angry at him. I, I remember I lost my fucking, you can imagine, I lost my mind. And, uh, and Todd was like, I'm just trying to protect you. And meanwhile, he had gotten my heroin from, from Dickie. <laughs> So, I love it. Yeah. So that's a little dopey for all the people who are listening to the show that want some dopey. And, and if you are listening to the show and you want some dopey, why not send in a perfectly length dopey voicemail? And I think a perfect dopey voicemail is fucking five minutes, five to seven minutes. I never talk for fucking ten minutes straight on the show. Don't send in long voicemails. Send in short voicemails. Don't you think, Rora? Rora?
5: Dave, you know what I was thinking about this week? Remember when you used to like – we used to like give away free gum in Union Square? Like that was like your job for a while. You'd like be giving shit away everywhere and we'd get off the train and you'd be screaming like, get it one and all. Like <laughs> you'd just be screaming crazy shit at strangers and we would always be like giving away free crap.
2: Yeah, that was when they lost. Like, they launched icebreakers and we were giving away <laughs> icebreaker gum. We'd be like, get your icebreakers here. Get your yes. icebreakers. Yeah, we did that all the time. I remember I, I t- we would We would have, like, huge bags of thousands of <laughs> sticks of gum. And I remember we would go up to Nat Sherman and trade the gum for cigarettes. For do you remember cigarettes.
5: that? Yes,
2: yes. Yeah, that's funny. So what do you oh think? Do you think – I want to ask your opinion about this. You don't listen to many podcasts, do you? No, not really. And, and you don't listen to much dopey. But don't you think that a voicemail that's longer than – six minutes is too long.
5: Yeah, I do agree with that. As
2: somebody in production.
5: Yeah, I think, I think that five, six minutes, I mean, if it's a dopey story and it's a good dopey story, maybe a little bit longer, but yeah, keep it, keep it short and sweet. Keep it concise.
2: And and keep it funny, you know, and, and all you have to do is record it on the voice memo feature on your phone and send it to dopey podcast at gmail.com uh follow us on instagram and reddit and facebook and all this stuff fucking dopey nation fan group is obviously running wild and you know i'm trying not to look too much at it so i can be uh spared you know of my neuroses you know but i think uh dopey nation is hanging in there i think uh you know, it seems like the podcast is, uh, is helping a lot of people out, and, uh, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate everybody that listens. I think it's awesome. makes me happy.
5: Well, thanks for having me on again. I, I enjoyed it. I had fun, and I, I think you're doing great work, Dave. Would you say I was I doing— And I've been listening to more Dobies. I listened to some on the plane to Japan.
2: Would you say I was doing God's work? No. <laughs> you, you wouldn't say I was operating with God's will in mind, doing the Lord's work?
5: <laughs> Pump the brakes, Dan.
2: All right, um, maybe on
5: the maybe on the two million download, you'll be doing, right. doing more of God's work. That's when
2: I'll be doing God's work when I get two million downloads. Did you see this movie? You know what I started watching is this fucking HBO or Amazon Prime Homecoming. Have you seen that?
5: I haven't. I started watching it, but I turned it
2: off. I I, I don't know. I hate Julia Roberts, and I don't care about the military. And it's all like noir-y but it's it's snappy at least.
5: Yeah, I heard it was good. I like the director. All right, listen. I have to go back
2: to work. All right. Well, you did. You did. You did the Lord's work here. You you really worked in on God's behalf and coming on the show. So thank you for following God's will and coming into the show. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Thanks, Dopey Nation. Okay. Bye. Bye. So that was, that was my very old and dear, especially old and dear friend, Aurora, who is a total shining example of recovery. Love it when Aurora comes on the show. And she even gave us a little bit of a, a little dopey, a little champagne dopey. I um, want to thank Chuck from Don't Die for uh, telling a bunch of his story and uh, being the sensible member of the Don't Die team. And I want to thank Patrick from Bayonne for, for really bringing the, the, the hammer down. On the shenanigans uh, arriving uh, around Dopey. Fucking hardcore Patrick. And then Teresa also, thank you. And um, even though I talked so much shit about long voicemails, uh, I have a long voicemail from uh, original Dopey Nation member, Drew. And Drew actually uh, was one to tell me that I'm very thin-skinned and soft. And the truth is that Drew is right. So I am – it is a new year. And I am now less thin-skinned and harder. I'm sick. I don't give a fuck. This story is pretty amazing. And it's the first time Drew uh, copped heroin in Delaware. So stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for our friend Chris, who we will always miss. And uh, stay strong. And here's Drew.
4: Oh, motherfucker goddamn shit. Yo, what's up, Derpy Nation? It's Drew from Delaware uh, been listening to the Dopey Podcast for about three years Been talking on and off with uh, Dave and Chris for most of that time um, I'm going to share the story of the uh, first time I ever copped heroin On the streets of Wilmington, Delaware uh, If any of you know Artie Lang's story by any means You'll know that he described it as the heroin capital of the East Coast Uh He used to say he would leave uh, the Howard Stern podcast, or not podcast, the Howard Stern radio show, drive down here to Delaware, it takes about two and a half hours, three hours from New York, and cop and get out. Um, One of the benefits of doing that in Delaware is 13 bag bundles for $25. Now, me personally, I started on Perk Set 30s. Um, I used to split one with me and my ex-wife. Uh, we were codependent addicts, um, but like everybody knows, it goes from doing one in between two of us to each of us doing one, and now each of us are doing two, and now it just has lost its mind. Now uh, it might have been the winter of 2015 or 14. I have thirty dollars in my pocket and. Thirty dollars would have gotten me well for about a day on a perk thirty. Uh, when I first started buying them, you could buy them for ten dollars a john but then they became fifteen dollars, then twenty, and then it went up to one milligram is one dollar, and that's thirty dollars. And I full well knew that uh, from other friends and the wheelings and dealings of Delaware. Uh, I used to be big into selling ecstasy, so everybody would always ask me if I've got perks. Uh, never did. But uh, I knew that I could buy a bundle for $25. So it was uh, it was the wintertime. It was early in the morning. I had to be to work at 8 a.m., And uh, I worked about an hour and a half away from where I lived. So what I would do is uh, I would be an utter piece of shit, and I would get up at about 5 a.m., I would sneak into my wife's purse, I would take our shared debit card, and I would run to the ATM and grab $30 and then sneak back in the bedroom and return it. Not thinking that she would ever check, which she had caught me multiple times. And needless to say, we're not together anymore because she has some sense and I have issues. Um, Also, just to state right now, I am over a year clean, so I'm doing well, but this is the story. So, it's about 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning, and any good heroin addict knows Nobody buys their dope late at night There's no sense in it You're buying your dope early in the morning To get well to go to work uh, A lot of heroin addicts I knew uh, Always were just trying to get well for work Well, uh, Getting highs for the weekend So uh, I never shot up I was always a snorter So uh, what I did Was I got my $30 Hopped in my Kia uh, Brand new Kia It was a uh, I think it was a two thousand. 15 or 16, and uh, I cruise into Wilmington, Delaware. Now, if any of you check the news, uh, in all the cities of the United States, your odds of being shot are higher in per capita in Wilmington, Delaware than anywhere else in the United States. For such a small city, it is an extremely dangerous city. But uh, living in Wilmington my whole life, I know where I belong and where I don't. But that also means I know where the heroin is and where it isn't. And it's right where I don't belong. So I go down into this part into Wilmington. They used to call it the bucket. It's, uh, it's the lowest part of Wilmington on the east side. And uh, I did the same thing uh, all of us great acts do when you're looking for open air drug markets. I start cruising the streets with my window down. And uh, I'm just slow rolling, smoking a Newport and I'm just waiting for that one dope boy to go, yo! And that's the international sign for pull over what you need. So uh, I go around the block. The guy yells at me, yo! I don't stop right there because I don't know him from fucking hole in the wall. So uh, I go around the block. I go circle a couple blocks, scoping for the cops, seeing if there's lookouts. Now, on the block where they used to sell the dope, it was, uh, it was two one-way streets And they would have about three guys in the center And at the end of these one-way streets They'd have one guy posted up So uh, they had pretty good lookouts Just in case uh, the police rolled through um, And this part of Wilmington Had anybody even seen me They'd have pulled me over immediately I'm in a brand new car I'm in a dress shirt with a vest and a tie uh, uh, I, worked, uh, I worked an office job and uh anyway, so come around the block and I pull up to where these three dope boys are standing. And I roll down my window a little bit. At the stop sign a guy comes up to me, he's like, Yo, yeah, yo, yeah, what you need, what you need? And I'm like, uh, I'm looking for bundles. He was like, What you got? I was like, Well, that's not how shit works. What I got. I'm gonna tell you fifty dollars, you're gonna tell me a bundle's fifty dollars. I asked him how much you need for a bundle. Well, he goes, It's 25 bucks I'm like alright So I take the money And I put it in my hand And he yells at me In the scariest fucking voice I've ever heard The fuck's wrong with you motherfucker Don't you know where the fuck you're at And I was like oh fuck Am I about to die He's like you got no fucking sense Coming down here doing that dumb shit do you Who the fuck do you think you are And it scared me (laughs) And I was like, uh, I started apologizing to this guy. I'm like, I'm sorry. uh, I thought you were selling. I don't know that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll leave. I'll leave. He's like, the fuck you going to leave for? You want your dope or not? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I I definitely want my dope. Uh, So I go to hand him money. He snatches the money out of my hand like he was trying to take my fingers with it. And uh, he goes, you're lucky, motherfucker, that you found me. Any of these other motherfuckers, you wouldn't have got shit. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. He's like, yo, I'm about to drop you some knowledge. And this is something you better pay attention to. You never give your cash for first before you get your shit. You want to get your fucking shit took? You just going to leave your brand new car here as you chase somebody for $25 over a bundle of dope that we paid $10 for? I'm like, nah. He was like, you need to have some motherfucking sense, boy. You don't know where the fuck you are I'm a trustworthy individual I want you to come back to me I ain't going to reject you But I just want you to know You never give your cash up again Without getting your shit first And uh, yeah, he, he gave me my bundle I gave him his 25 bucks I was on my way uh, I, I always do this thing Where I like rub my hands together I get all excited Just going, oh shit, I'm about to get my high on and uh, I pulled an Artie Lang move I uh, I took the bag out of the little I took my uh, blue ba- paper bag Out of the cell phone uh, I ripped it in half I looked at it It looked like maybe it was a tenth full Or something like that Roll up a tutor Put it in there And I snorted up And you get that vinegar Cat pissy taste of dope You know this is dope And I was like I pulled a total, total Artie Lang I was like I'm in trouble Because normally I would have to do without If you don't have $60 You're not getting fucked up But on $25 a day When I'm making $250 This is a habit I can maintain So after that I probably did dote for Another Two, three years or so I have about a year clean and some uh, Me and my wife are no longer together I decided to destroy that due to a a dope had it and a couple other indiscretions I'm not too proud of. But now uh, I do NA. I don't follow steps. I don't pray. But I think group therapy is far more important than anybody can believe. You don't got to believe in God. You don't got to do these steps. But you do have to believe in yourself and you do have to want it. And I always tell everybody, what is a, what's a success in recovery? Is a success where you die sober? Because if that's success, how do we know anyone's a success until you die? Or success just bettering your quality of life? Is it a relapse and you going, this is a mistake, I don't want this? That's success to me. It's not $30,000 in rehab. It's not repeating 12 steps. It's not crushing yourself into the ground for a mistake. It's realizing mistakes happen and realizing you can come back from this. I believe in all of you. If any of you have any doubts, please reach out. Don't be ashamed to tell somebody you're fucked up. Don't be ashamed just to say I need help because people do love you. And they don't want you to end up as the statistic I'll drop a really shitty number on you And then I'll leave you alone In Vietnam, 68,000 Americans died That war lasted years In the year 2017 alone 72,000 Americans died from opiates That's a scary number No parents should have to put their kids in the ground and none of us should put our friends in the ground over a high. Find something out there. Tell people you love them. And stay strong, Derby Nation. I want to take a walk around
0: the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess. I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad wanna be so good so bad so bad I wanna be good so bad bad desire's all I ever had and I wanna take a ride up in the sky watch this airplane just pass me by and I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive but I wanna be Good so bad, wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had, and my shadows getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to know where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good, so bad Wanna be good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it! All these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, 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 and these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had.